What is love? It's a very deep question to start off a summer with, huh? And then, what is love? As I as I thought about this concept, that was that was a, a phrase that kept going through my mind as I prepared this sermon and worked on it, looked into it. I kept thinking, what is love? What is love? Because Jesus talks about love. And so that phrase, what is love, kept going through my mind. And many of you might not get this reference. And others of you may make it think less of your preacher. But I couldn't get that old Saturday Night Live skit out of my mind. Where those two guys were listening to that song, what is love, baby don't hurt me, over and over and over again. I just couldn't get that out of my head as I wrote the sermon. So if it's a little off, we'll blame We'll blame that skit. Love. Love is, love is an interesting thing, and I think I, I've shared this with you before. One of the problems that we face as English speakers when it comes to love is, is we truly, our language truly struggles to encapsulate and capture all the various things revolving around love. So as I think I've shared with you before, I love my Savior, Jesus Christ. I love my wife and my children. And as I already stated this morning in the children's moment, I love Kool-Aid. Really, I really love the sugar more than the actual Kool-Aid. You know, Kool-Aid just a means to an end for me. Um, but notice the word love is there in all three settings. I love the Savior who died for my sins. I love my wife and my kids and my family in ways that my words can't even fathom. I like to drink sugary drinks. Same word, three different meanings. It's layered in our language. Our our language does not quite capture love in its different settings. The the Greek language that Paul was writing in, that that Jesus would have been familiar with and that the disciples would have been familiar with, broke up the word love into its different forms. And so you had the the, the love of husband and wife. You had the love of family. You had the love of, of brothers and friendship. You had the love of God. That agape love. Love in the Greek language was multi-layered in a way that English doesn't quite capture it. So then, what is love? I think one of the mistakes we've made in our culture, and this is true for, I guess, all of Western culture, is we've kind of let the ideal of romantic love kind of supersede what love is. So love is all ooey gooey and warm fuzzies and sleeping princesses and princes and ooh, it just makes your insides get all gooey. You know, that's what love is, right? Love is the newest country song or pop song about emotion and things like that. And, that, and that, listen, that's not to say there aren't ooey gooeyness with love. There is in every marriage, at least there should be, an ooey gooey phase. That's a theological term, by the way, ooey-gooey. Uh, at least it wasn't Bogachitta. Um, but I, like I tell every couple I do premarital counseling with, you're going to get married, and it's ooey-gooey, and you love each other, and it's birds are singing and rainbows and wonderfulness. And then six months over later, you look over and realize, oh, wait, I'm stuck with them. And those cute little quirks that you love so much, that were so adorable, that just made you smile so much, now make you want to strangle them. 
in love, of course. Um, love. Love in our culture is an emotion. It's an emotional thing. But I don't think that captures in Scripture the fullness of what love is. Because in the language of Scripture, love is not simply an emotion, but love is a commitment. Love is a choice. Love is sacrifice. Love has a depth and an anchor to it that mere emotion cannot keep. Now, that said, there is, there is an emotion to love. That, I'm not denying that. But what I'm saying is that that emotion of love is not the totality of love. But love is a deeper commitment. Love is not necessarily based on even emotion. As my mama used to say sometimes, just because I love you don't mean I got to like you. Love is deeper than mere emotion. So, let's look at the text today. How does Jesus define those that love him? Those that love him are those that keep his commandments. Not those that necessarily have ooey-gooeyness towards Jesus. Not those that necessarily have the hairs in the backs of their necks raised. Although those things do happen. But the thing about those that love Jesus are the ones that love Jesus are the ones that keep his commandments. That's what scripture says. Those that love me keep my commandments. And here's the problem with that. I don't like his commandments sometimes. Because he says I've got to love my enemies. And I don't want to do that. They're my enemies for a reason. You know? I've got to bless those that curse me. I I don't want to do that. They're cursing me. Why why do I want to give them blessings when they're cursing me? He tells me when someone slaps my cheek, I am to turn the other cheek to them so that they can slap that one as well. I don't want to do that. I don't. That hurts. That's painful. That'll leave a mark. But yet Jesus says those, those that love him must keep his commandments. By the way, let me say a, a real quick word about love and evil right now. Um, we've seen evil this week, haven't we, y'all? Now I'll just go ahead and name it. We've seen great evil this week. We've seen innocence violated. We've seen depths of evil that our minds can't fathom. And I've been doing some reading, and one of the things that I've read is that one of the things we don't need to mistake God for is a God that is absent from our world. There are, two, there are two parts of God's character that you need to understand. First, is what, and both these are scriptural. First is the fact that God is love. Scripture is abundantly clear that God is love. It's one of those messages that we hear over and over and over again in the Bible. God is love. God is love. God is love. Yes, God is love. But love is not the totality of God's character. Scripture is also abundantly clear 
that God is holy. God is bigger than us and broader than us and holier than us. And sin cannot abide in God's presence. It cannot. God is holy and sin cannot enter into the holy presence of God. So God is love and God is holy. And one thing God is not is God is not passive towards evil. God is not passive towards evil. God is angered by evil. God is offended by evil. Because a, would a God that was ambivalent towards evil be a good God? No, of course not. God is not ambivalent towards evil. God is angered and offended. And scripture is clear that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And justice is God's, saith his word. But God is not ambivalent or passive towards evil. But here's the thing. He's called us as the church to be at war against evil. But let me tell you how we cannot fight evil. And let me tell you the only way evil wins. If that is if, that is if the virus of hatred infects our hearts. And that is if the virus of judgment and an eye for an eye infects our hearts. If we fight evil on its terms, if we fight evil with hate, if we fight evil with vengeance, then evil has already won. How do we fight evil? We fight evil with the language and the weapons of God. And that language and that weapon is love. I do not understand the evil of this world sometimes. I do not understand how people can do things that are evil and destructive. I do not understand it. But I know that my call as a Christian, my call as a minister, my call as one that tries to follow God is not to respond to evil with evil, but my call is to respond to evil with love. And maybe we can't save this life that was taken this last week. But maybe we can save the next one. There are children in our county that have no godly father figures. We fight evil by being that role model. There are women working two jobs, barely making enough money to put food on the table. We fight evil by giving her a hand. There are families that are torn asunder by the ways of this world. We fight evil by being there to help them. There are children here in our own church that need somebody to listen to them, that need somebody to care for them. We fight evil by being that helping hand or that caring soul. There are organizations in our community like MADCAP, there are organizations in our community, like our church, that seek to go where darkness is prevalent and take the love and the life-changing grace of Jesus Christ with them. We charge the gates of hell not with vengeance, but we charge the gates of hell with love.
Because if we charge the gates of hell with vengeance, evil has already won. Scripture is clear. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We are not in that business. We are in the business of redemption through Jesus Christ. That isn't to mean that we're passive. That isn't to mean that we don't care. But that is to mean that that is our language as Christians because giving into the darkness is not a victory. Giving into the darkness is a loss. I mean, I've shared my story with you before, but one, one, one of my North Stars is the words of my mama. When I asked her one time if she hated the man, my biological father who killed her daughter, her answer to us to me, no, Andy. If I hate him, he wins. The way evil wins is if we fight it on its terms. We are not called to be passive friends. We are not called to sit back and fiddle while Rome burns. But we cannot wage war against the devil on his terms. We must wage it on the terms of God. And those terms are light and grace and love, and self-sacrifice, and resurrection, and redemption, because that is our language as Christians. And that is who we are. And so when every fiber of your being, when everything in you says, strike back, punch back, hit back, Respond like for like, tit for tat, hate for hate. Know that as Christians, we cannot, we must not, because that is not who we are. We are the children of God. That is not to say we are passive. But it is to say in all things we live out grace. Because those who love him keep his commandments. And we're called to love. Well, preacher, that's hard. (laughs) I can't do that. That's more than me. And that's why he says... I will send another. I will send my advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will teach you and remind you of these things and help you to be faithful. Y'all, the life of faith is not about bowing up and rolling up your sleeves and making you a better person. Because, you know, you can bow up. You can serve God out of obligation and willpower for about six months. And then you'll get sick of it, and then you'll get tired of it, and then you'll quit. The life of faith is not a life of willpower. The life of faith is a life of surrender. A surrendering to God. A surrendering to his spirit. A surrendering to his power. A surrendering to him and allowing him to change you and convict you and call you and melt me, mold me, Fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God. It is as Father Wesley sang, taught us to sing this morning. Take away our bent to sinning. Alpha and Omega be. End of faith is its beginning. Set our hearts at liberty. Change from glory into glory. Till in heaven we take our place. Till we cast our crowns before thee. Lost in wonder, love, and grace. It is not we who do the work, but it is God who does the work through us.
So when we can't love, when we want to respond with vengeance, when we want to respond with hate, when we can't do it, our job is not to bow up and do it. Our job is to surrender to the one who can do it through us. Greater is he who's in us than he was in the world. Our life is not a life of stubbornness and willpower, but our life is a life of, of sacrifice and of surrender. Because when you surrender to the one who loves you more than you know your own self, you will find more strength in him. You will find more strength in his grace than you can find in yourself. I'm not calling you to be weak. I'm not calling you to be passive. I'm not calling you to lay down. I'm calling you to realize where your strength comes from. It's not from you, but it's from him. Those who love me keep my commandments is what he told us this morning. May his grace awaken our hearts to where we can follow even when the way looked rough, even in the midst of evil. For greater is he who's in us than he who is in the world. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for your love and grace, even in difficult and challenging times. Thank you for giving us that grace, even when it's hard. God, may we surrender to you. May we live out your love. We love you. We ask this.